You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight I have an eclectic mix of guests for you to enjoy from baking to kefir to gin to smoked fish. To start off tonight, Chef Shane Smith who is from County Cavan and working in Dublin's Airfield Estate. Shane will be sharing his food journey during a visit to Taste of Cavan where I also meet Sean McGlone from Blake's Always Organic and David Donnelly from the Shed Distillery. And at the end of the show we hear from Sally Warren of West Cork Woodcock Smokers fame. But before that, here's how to get in touch with me at the best possible taste. The email is s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm doing a little bit on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So our first guest tonight is Shane Smith, who is a regular on our TV screens, usually with his amazing sweet creations. I bumped into Shane in his home county when I visited Taste of Cavan in August, and it was great to hear about his food journey. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Shane, it must be nice to come home. Oh, it was great to come home, yeah. No, Taste of Cavan is a highlight for me every year to come home, um, not even to catch up with family as well. It's work sometimes can be so hectic that um, you don't get home as often as you like. So especially to tie that in with the taste of cabin is amazing as well. And just to see so many friendly faces, the producers out there, there's so many people that come back year after year. So it's lovely to come and catch up with them as well. I want to ask you about your background and your childhood yeah. and where your love of cooking and baking, because baking, pastries, that's your area yeah. of expertise. Well, I suppose um, at around 16, I'd said it to my mum about, uh, there was an open cert, a cert at the time, um, college course. So that was being held in the local hotel here in Cavan in the Hotel Kilmore. So I said to mum, can we go in and check it out? Because at that stage, I didn't really know what I wanted. I, I suppose I did know I wanted to, to cook, but to say you wanted to be a chef back those years ago as well it was kind of like oh well now do you know you're letting yourself in for long hours and all that kind of thing so mum was like absolutely let's go so we went to the local hotel and we got a tour and the head chef cooked very simple steak in the kitchen but I just knew by watching him that day I was like this is where I want to be I want to be in a kitchen I want to be surrounded by food all day because I had a love for food and I got that from uh, definitely my mum and my, my dad as well like the, my mum's an amazing cook um, so we went to the, uh, yeah, the hotel and I applied that day for weekend work and got a, got a job in that hotel. So I went in and was working on the carvery and helping prep salads. And I, like I think, I think my mum had said, well, now you're probably going to be washing dishes for the day when you go in there. But I went in and I was thrown straight into food prep. And I was like, yeah, this is, I knew from day one that that's just really what I wanted to do. So I applied in to Killybegs. So I was in Killybegs for two years and I got my cert um, in Killybegs. But again, once I went into Killybegs, like pastry, we had two pastry classes a week and I knew they were my highlight. When I really liked something, I put the work and effort into it. So I was always in early and I had my, 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 my homework done in relation to my prep and my mise en place. So pastry was always definitely a love of mine. And I suppose I, I was big into art in school as well. So I think they're very closely linked. Um, it's quite creative, it's quite visual. So um, different placements then in Knockranny and Westport. I, I was working at doing veg prep and all of that. And I always went over to the pastry section after um, service and helped them clean down and asked them what they were doing. So eventually worked my way into different pastry sections and kitchens. And um, I went back to GMIT then and, and specialized in a degree in, in bakery and, and pastry. So it's always been a love. And I suppose there were years where it was kind of back maybe 15 years ago when I was in there, there was a look down almost a little bit on, on, on chefs especially male chefs, to be pastry chefs. It was always kind of seen as, that's 
the girl side of the kitchen and I, I did come across that in the early days where the chef's like no you, you come over here and you can prep this side of beef or you can prep the fish which I did which I'm lucky I have both of those aspects of, of cooking but um, yeah it was always I suppose in a way it was like oh pastry chef really over there with the, the girls in the pastry section but I knew deep down I was like that's where I want to be and it's, 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 it's served me really well so far and I love it I've loved it I think it's amazing the way you talk about it it sounds like it was such a vocation mm. like you knew in your heart yeah. this is where you belonged this is what you wanted to do like it, you're very lucky in that yes. regard I think yes. to, to have known that did you hoover up the cookbooks? Was there um, particular chefs out there that you really admired and followed that would have inspired you? That changes, I think. You, you meet so many people and ask you, who's your favorite chef? I think different chefs inspired me for different reasons. Like I can remember watching Paul Rankin and Jeannie um, when I was younger on TV and I absolutely adored everything that they'd done. The layout of their the TV show and the kitchen that they were in and they were both cooking and I had Gary Rhodes' pastry book. I think it was just, just desserts it was called. It was basically the lemon meringue pie with the spiked meringue and his hair was the exact same and I, I, it was just, I had that book and I remember like just rifling through it and looking at all of these amazing desserts. So they would have been early kind of I suppose for me watching people on TV corners my years went on in college definitely with Killy Beggs and and working in, in in hotels it was more Irish chefs then kind of come to the forefront as well so you have like Myrtle Allen and you have all of these amazing people that just really come to the forefront and what they've done for Irish food so I suppose in my latter years it can't it changes for me you know what I mean you look at Nevin there and he's he's an amazing chef too with his, what he brings to Cavan and his cookery school and then I, I'd admire him for that and another chef for something else so there's lots of different people that I, I admire for different reasons but yeah all, they all affect you in a, in a certain way and they all I suppose have their part to play in, in, in the years that you spent growing up you know in different kind of restaurants and stuff they all have their, their own style as well When you think of baking in Ireland I think of soda bread yes. and fruit cakes and things like that but the patisserie side of it, I would more, I'd be, I'd be thinking more about France, all the lovely yeah, patisseries yeah. that they do. But we are seeing more of more of those coming in to the cafes and restaurants yeah. and, and hotels now. It is, and I suppose it's it's something um, when you go to college as well. It's it can be quite heavily French influenced when it comes to baking and patisserie work. Yeah, you have the the Irish bakes, as you said. You've got your traditional soda breads and stuff, but. The creativity and the flair, definitely that influence came from France as well. And I love that. I love the classical. You know, I love nothing more than making a, like a baked custard tart or a lemon tart. Um, the classics are amazing. I suppose in, in, in college we were always taught, learn your classics, respect them. And then when you have um, that level of knowledge of how to, to make them, then play around and, you know, bring it back to adding like your own flavor or twist we're now uh, at work there we're doing a gorgeous um, blackcurrant leaf custard tart so we're infusing the basic mix with like blackcurrant leaves and you can play with that you know so uh, what I love again is, is taking those classic recipes and putting a twist on them so you can have your own kind of fun with them that's why I love the create creativity as well of being a pastry chef gives you that that window of fun as well and it's, it's quite visual and yeah I, I, I just adore it and when you are experimenting how important is it to you to use in-season, locally sourced ingredients yeah. such as fruits from Wexford? And that's always been the case, I suppose, as a chef, but you can always get strawberries. You know, you can you can ring somebody in January, a supplier, and you can get strawberries, you know. So there are a lot of restaurants, I think, and it's definitely in the last couple of years that seasonality is such a strong focus on using local. But there are still a lot of restaurants where you can get strawberry uh, panna cotta or an eaten mess with berries in February, which in a way, you say I don't disagree with but just some people expect that you know someone wants to have a strawberry tart or a strawberry cheesecake they're just I suppose 
being accommodating to our customers needs but where I am I suppose at the moment in Airfield a station Dundrum we're a 38 acre working farm so we grow all our own food so I can't get strawberries in January you know what I mean so I'm basically using what we're growing on the farm and what we don't what we can't grow on the farm is in for volume wise we source uh, locally from local organic growers from the area so for me it's, it's full circle to sitting with the gardeners at the beginning of the year and talking about well what would you like more of this year less of this year like we had a serious amount of plums last year, nearly too much, so we're going to rain back on that. So talking with the gardeners, for me, walking down through the garden, seeing the rhubarb growing, it's pulled. We have it, I suppose, harvested and washed and prepped and cooked in the restaurant in the space of four hours. So it's coming from the ground and it's on the table four hours later. For me, I, as a chef, I've never had such a, a full cycle before. And it's for me, it's, it's put huge emphasis on seasonality. So I write all my menus, even my wedding menus and stuff, which you would be doing in advance. We've got our different seasonalities, different menus that we know if a wedding is going to be in spring, summer, autumn or winter, this is the menu that they're going to have. So there is a very, very strong focus. That's probably the first time really for me, in a way, I was always, I suppose, influenced by it, but now it's, 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 it's heavy for me, seasonality. It's very, very, very important. Tell me more about Airfield. Um, for somebody that's never been there, just set the scene. Yeah. You're talking about weddings, so obviously you can have private events yeah. at it. So Airfield is a 38-acre working farm based in Dundrum. So we're just up the road from the shopping centre that people just can't fathom that we have such a, a large farm um, there. We're a charity trust fund, so we're um, left by the Overend family. Um, so uh, we're heavily focused on education. Now we have our obviously our restaurant there as well, but we have over 10,000 children come through the gates a year and we show them how to cook, where the food comes from, um, everything food related and even nature and just bringing things right back down to basics. So it's really is a breath of fresh air in the, in the chaos of, of any city but even Dublin to, to go in there and it's just like a real step back, you know. Um, restaurant um, over Overend's Kitchen um, is a busy, busy restaurant. Like we have a lot of people coming to Airfield for the restaurant and also to come in and avail of the, of the gardens and the ornamental gardens. So the restaurant is very busy and as I said, we're based, um, the gardens are certified organic, so all the food that we have coming from the garden is organic food, um, and it's just literally turned around and produced, harvested and sent into the restaurant. So we're really, in a way, we stand behind everything. We kind of count everything in the amount of footsteps. So we say to people, well, that rhubarb, that was 27 footsteps away from where it was grown, and now it's on your table. So it's kind of bring that connection to people that it's literally growing on site. But again, we have, um, we do weddings there, small intimate weddings in the, the, the old house, which is now turned into a museum for up to 60 people. But then over in the kitchen, the restaurant, we can cater up to 120 for weddings in there. And then we also have an abundance of fields, 38 acres. So we also uh, run large events with marquees and we get people in up to three, four, five hundred people too for, for certain events to corporate events and um, so yeah we really we tailor for everything we're, we're basically like a hotel but with no rooms kind of so it's it's, it's a really again fun place to work in and um, yeah as, as we have our farm our jersey herd so all our milk is pasteurized on site which is amazing for the bakery like everything I use in the bakery is jersey milk and um, so that goes into the brown bread goes into the scones goes into the panna cottas it's such a high fat content milk that it's almost like cream so and um, we use all of that in in the bakery so again that's uh, milk pasteurized in the following day it's up in the bakery so it's it, again it's really it's really special there's not many places that can that can say that they're doing that Absolutely anywhere not, in, in the no, country yeah, yeah. And you, you talk about education there, and yeah. today at Taste of Calvin, you are doing a workshop with children. Yeah. Tell us about that. So um, yes, today we're doing a master class with um, sounds very fancy master class with um, parents and kids. So I'm doing a cake decorating uh, master class. The last couple of years between different events, we've noticed there's a huge interest in baking and. Um, even goes to show with the TV shows as well. People love baking. They love cake decorating. I suppose chocolate and sprinkles. Like what's not to like? But um, 
I think it was two years ago we'd done a cake decorating class as well and it went down really really well so that's why we brought it back this year but we put the little twist on where I'll be uh, making the gatto today and the, the parents and kids will be copying and, and recreating the same cake that I'm making today so it's going to be fun it sold out really well I think we've got it sold out a couple of times over so hopefully next year we can do it again on a bigger scale but um, yeah it's going to be fun we're doing an, uh, a melted ice cream cone gatto so it's going to be very visual pink colours sprinkles uh, uh, towards the kids because that's what it's all about well it sounds wonderful and you're talking about the TV shows there the way that there's a resurgence in cake baking because of things like the the Great Irish or the Great British Bake Off and you're regular on television yourself yeah it's the TV is a great platform um, I suppose to what I try and do whenever I'm on um, TV3 is to show people that it's quite simple I know it's easy for me to say that because I'm doing it every day of the week and some people could be put off or afraid of making a yeast bread or or um, a chocolate mousse but I, what I try and do is, is pair it all back and kind of show people you know what don't take it so seriously baking is about fun baking is about making mistakes baking is about realizing okay I'm not going to do that again and I'll do it this way the next time I have a, a feature in easy food magazine this month as guest editor and what I, well, I suppose the pitch to that was five ingredient desserts so I just wanted to show people that you can make beautiful desserts with just five ingredients so there's eight recipes in there that showcases between different bakes and desserts with five ingredients that it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, it, it, it's about having fun and I said knowing your knowing your equipment and knowing your oven and making those mistakes and kind of going learning from that so um, it doesn't have to be all so serious I suppose sometimes but that's what I try and do with, with TV3 is to, 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 to make something that's visually attractive and tastes nice but it doesn't take you three days to prepare in advance. Well, I think it's great that you have the recipes there in Easy Food magazine. And is there anywhere else that people can get recipes that you've yeah. done? So uh, my own website, um, all the W's, Chef Shane Smith. Um, and then all my, I suppose my social media links, they're all kind of tied in together. Um, Chef Shane Smith is, is at most of them. So again, the website's probably the place to go. I try and upload a few. Um, 20 something at the moment up there it takes time so again it's, it's just about building that and uh, learning how to shoot food is fun so food photography for me is another a newfound love I think if you're going to be submitting recipes to different magazines and, and papers you have to be able to also to photograph your own food you know it's it's it's, it's another I suppose feather in your bow as well I suppose for chefs now not only to cook food but it's, it's no it's nice to do that full circle where you can submit your own pictures and that so I'm learning and I'm, I'm picking up little bits and pieces of, of photography equipment as I go along my dad's a painter and decorator so I have loads of wood and painted boards which helps make the pictures look nice um, but yeah I suppose my website would be the main I suppose area to go if you wanted to, to check out different recipes and that I try and upload as many as I can great well we must check that out in the meantime we must let you go now to, to do your master class and thanks for talking Not to at me all. thank you so much You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. You're very welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Shane Smith, baker extraordinaire, shared his food story. But if you're just tuning in now and you missed that interview, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website. 
Now, still to come tonight, we have to hear from Sally Barnes from the famous Woodcock Smokery in West Cork. But next, we're going to hear from two traders that I met at Taste of Cavan. First up, it's Sean McGlone from Blake's Always Organic, which produces kefir. And then David Donnelly from the Shed Distillery, producer of Drumshambo Gunpowder Irish Gin. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Hi, um, my name is Sean McLone and I work for, and I partly own, Blake's Always Organic. And our main product is um, organic kefir, or kefir, or kefir, kefir, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, kefir is, uh, it's an old traditional Russian Turkish drink, and it means feel good, that's the direct translation. But what, what kefir really does is, it reintroduces good bacteria back into your gut for good gut health. The whole... I suppose the whole um, theory now in, in health is natural health would be that if your gut is working properly then the rest of you starts to improve. So kefir, kefir seen as a natural way of getting good probiotics back into your gut. We started this about two years ago to market and what we're seeing now, feedback from our customers is it's fantastic for things like IBS, Crohn's, colitis, eczema and general stress-related related, uh, issues. Um, also, what I found was bloat was one of the big things I noticed first, that it kind of, it reduces dramatically. And uh, it just makes you feel good, I suppose. That, that, that's part of the whole thing about it. It just makes you feel much better. And we would recommend people, when they're drinking it, we sell it in a 250ml and a 750ml bottle. But we recommend to start off new to it about... 80 to 100 mils a day and build up to about 120 mils, that's sufficient. Uh, I would have always thought to myself, you take it first thing in the morning. A lot of the Eastern Europeans are much more familiar with it, would normally take it maybe after their main meal in the day. But now we have a lot of nutritionists uh, telling us that they're recommending to people to take it before you go to bed at night. You know, like that whole idea of a warm glass of milk before you go to bed. Well, you don't warm kefir, but you take it that time. And I suppose the idea is your gut is slowing down, you get better absorption rates. Because kefir is just about getting that good bacteria back into your gut. And in terms of ingredients, it's milk, it's organic milk. Yeah, we milk. use full whole, full fat or whole milk, organic milk, and we ferment it at low temperatures. And uh, it, it's, we control it then with ice bank chills and stuff like that to get it. Kefir only ever wants to become a cheese. So if you allow it to get longer and longer and longer on, it'll eventually split into curds and whey. So we stop it, I suppose, a little bit before that happens. So it's quite thick. It's not as thick as yoghurt, but it does have that natural yoghurt taste to it. Yes, that's part of the fermentation. And I suppose how kefir exists, kefir, the bacteria in kefir feeds on the lactose, which is the sugar in the milk, and it breaks it down. So the longer it's fermenting, the thicker it gets. But there is a point where it will just split into curds and whey completely and it becomes a cheese and uh, like we're hoping to bring out a, a, a kefir cheese in the future but we haven't got around there because at that stage it probably needs some kind of a, a flavouring. We don't do flavourings with our kefir because we're a bit worried about issues with sugars from flavourings killing off the good bacteria but I am looking at um, something that will flavour, it's almost like a quirky type uh, cheese That'll be different. It'll, it'll not be a fruit or it'll not be a sugar-based product. It's very interesting what you say about the flavours of like doing a flavoured kefir because anybody that listens to the archers like I do, 
Helen's shop, like they're experimenting with kefir and doing different flavours. But whenever I heard you talking earlier today, you were saying about like add it to make smoothies, so add the, the fruit flavourings to it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very clean product and I think foods in the future should be, but the consumer has that ability. Like we have 30 days shelf life on our product. We'd be worried about the damage it would do. But there's no problem with you either adding a little bit of honey, running it through a smoothie. Even I know some people would use it with orange juice, or um, and quite a few people would put fruits in it, and maybe even do it overnight oats. That's another way of doing things, or granola. And there's no issue with you doing it because you're consuming it right away. It's only if you allow a couple of days that you're going to have a problem, I believe. Like my kids, when I started, I practiced for 18 months to two years at home. Lost all my friends in order to stop coming, and my kids hate kefir, but they get it every morning in a smoothie. They just don't realise they're getting it. I was really surprised about the 30-day shelf life, which yeah. is because that's great. Yes, low pH and very much control. Like we use pH meters and ice banks and stuff like that, so you get it really well. But the reality is, all these products, because they're low pH, they don't really go off. What actually happens is they get stronger and become unpalatable. That's that's the problem with them. It's not that things that we've tested it now up and down, and I could probably like I've drank it myself personally after 40, 50 days, no problem. And it makes the best brown bread if you you ever want to go down that road. And the reason that you got into it was because you heard somebody speaking down in Cork. Yeah, it was a doctor in Cork talking about the benefits of kefir to people that were post, that had gone through cancer and maybe were coming out the other end of chemotherapy or radium treatment. Their immunity was on the floor. And what he was making the point is that probiotics is essential that period of time, but the problem is your immunity is so low, artificial can be quite difficult to take. So you're already hitting a system that's on the floor in terms of immunity and it's really tough on it. So he started talking about this uh, kefir and I had no idea what it was. And then somebody else mentioned to me about a week later and I said, okay, there's something here because I was involved in, in dairy, working with dairy farmers and I'd never come across this thing, milk kefir, before. And then a friend of mine who's a nutritionist approached me one day in a supervisor in Ballinamore and said to me, Sean, where would I get milk for organic milk? I want to make kefir. So I had to sit her down and say, right, you better tell me about this stuff. So she gave me, she got me started on it, and I started doing it at home base before. And I, I was messing around with it for about a year, and then just as a, in my fridge, nothing more than that. And then I decided after a period of time that it was really good, that I was going to try and make a business out of this. And, uh, and we took it from there. Now, it did take us probably another 18 months to, because shelf life is the key to been able to deliver it into shops and you're part of the super value academy yeah the food academy has been brilliant for us because we we started off we done the food academy uh, course which you thought was tough at the time and you thought it was a lot of hassle but it actually worked out great you do a kind of a dragon's den's pitch to them about i think the second last time when you have everything else and that you get that far and they say well we'd be interested in talking to you and I, we were lucky because it was the niece of the doctor that started this originally was up from Cork doing the Dragon's Den and she said to me, she said I hear lots of pitches but she said I can guarantee that was the truth because that was my uncle that was, that was there so only in Ireland only in Ireland so um, we went from there then to start with a 20 litre into local shops in Carrigan Shannon and then we because we had the old chocolate company we used some of the contacts to get in but it was the food academy predominantly that allowed us to access in and it's just that ability to get small volumes of product in loads of different shops so Food Academy would have given us 12 shops to start with and then we'd move on to another 12 and now we have access to most of the country because our product is suitable, you know, for them. So it's just gone from strength to strength? Yes. Look at it, it has always its own challenges like I've, 
have gone into work some mornings and you'd have 800 litres of kefir and it becomes cheese in front of your eyes because it can change because it's a lateral living product we don't use stabilizers or any preservatives or anything like that in it so you're com- completely dictated by the environment that you're in and your ice co- cold water to chill it or cool it and uh, so you can't put that stuff into a bottle so it has basically been dumped so you know you have good weeks and bad weeks uh, Kefirs are an interesting product because while we are in a food grade unit, if it's warm outside, warmer like during the summer, the fermentation process completely changes, although you think you're in a controlled environment, you're not. And I don't know why that is, air pressure, I don't know, but it can change. We could see 8 to 10 hours in the difference of a fermentation because of temperature outside. So you have to watch that continually, but it's good. And I think what really is good for us is the fact that We've developed this product that's actually good. It's not pretending to be anything that it isn't. It is what it is. It's a really good product that makes people feel better or feel good. And coming to shows like Taste of Cavan must be really important to get people like, you have a little taste of it to introduce yes. them to it because some people might be afraid of investing in a whole bottle of it whenever they don't know what it's like. Yeah, and I think especially a product like Kiefer or Kefir, it's nobody not even most people don't know what it is to start it and you're right they're they would be scared so we do bloom we do taste of calf and we do a lot of smaller shows as well and we do tastings in the shops but this actually is better than any tasting and uh, people you just educate people on that you know and i think the other thing's been really good for us is the likes of social media because there's a lot of information out there on google or on facebook about uh kefir and about those health products that, that are good for your gut, basically. And how is the show going for you today? Yeah, really good. We've had a couple of really interesting um, people. We don't come to make money at a show like this. We're not interested. It's not that we'd be loved to, don't get me wrong, but it's more about that education, getting out to people, explaining people. Like, we already have a network of shops around the country, so it's really good to meet people and say, I've seen that, but I didn't know what it was, and I really like it, because people just are often, and it, it's... Just to make that purchase, it's that little bit more difficult. And after this show, we would hope to see 20-25% increase in sales. And you're coming across a few people that listen to the archers. Absolutely, yeah. You know, we've done Bloom and Archers. As, this I, I, I have to be honest and say I've never listened to the archers. And Kiefer, the amount of people that knows about Kiefer through the archers is phenomenal. It's mad, isn't it? Yes. A great product. Thanks so much for talking to me about it today. Thanks very much for listening to me. My name is David Donnelly and I work for Drumshambo Gunpowder Irish Gin and it's made in the uh, Shed Distillery in Drumshambo in County Leitrim. Now there has been a gin explosion in Ireland of late, so tell us a little bit about your gin and what it's made from. Yes, so uh, in Ireland there's a huge gin craze at the moment. Uh, Our gin is all about uh, the owner of the distillery, PJ Rigney, and his travels. So he travelled all around the world over his years of working in the alcohol industry and found unique botanicals all around the world and he stored these in his mind and then he brought these back to his um, laboratory in Drumshambo and mixed them with the local botanicals such as meadowsweet that only grows in Drumshambo and then he created Drumshambo Gunpowder Irish Gin and the reason why it's called Gunpowder is there's a gunpowder green tea in it and that's where it gets its name from. 
whenever it comes to mixing it then with tonic or orange juice or a slice of lemon or a slice of orange, what way is it best served? Yes, so Drumshambo Gunpowder Irish Gin Signature Serve is with a plain premium tonic and then a wedge of fresh grapefruit. So we use grapefruit, lemons and limes in the uh, distillation process. So the grapefruit really brings out the taste of the gin. Any particular style of glass? Um, we actually just serve it in like maybe a nice whiskey tumbler with lots of ice and just a lovely wedge of grapefruit. Fabulous, sounds great. Uh, for the last two years, uh, voted by the people, we've won the best Irish gin masters for 2016 and 2017. And the company, the Shed Distillery uh, owner, PJ Rigby, has just been nominated for the Ernest Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. I love the bottle. I love the blue bottle. It's very unusual. Yes, yeah, so it's an apothecary old-style old medicine bottle and uh, it's really eye-catching for the people on the shelf. So they must have taken a lot of time and put a lot of thought into the whole branding side of things. Yes, the owner, PJ Rigney, uh, as I said, he's worked in the industry for many years. So he, I think he put all his love and uh, ideas into this brand and it's a huge success. It's, we're now selling in 25 countries across the world. And just in the last three years, we are now employing 25 local people in the area, 20 who were on the live register. So it's great for a rural community like Drumshambo. And plans for the future, where do you see the company going? Yes, yeah, so we've actually just got planning permission a few weeks ago to open our visitor experience at the uh, distillery. So we're hoping to break ground on that soon. Planning and everything is in line, and that will hopefully bring another 20 jobs. And we've just launched our uh, vodka uh, in Dublin Airport. It's called Sausage Tree Pure Irish Vodka. It's a very unusual name. Yes, yeah, so it comes from the sausage tree fruit, which grows in Africa. And then next year, we'll also be uh, launching our whiskies uh, as well, which there's a lot of hype around. You're very busy by the signs of it. Yes, definitely. But it's great to be here in Cavan today. So, and if anyone wants to find out any uh, more information, they can go to www.thesheddistillery.com. Brilliant. Thanks, David. All right. No problem. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Sean McGlone from Blake's Always Organic explained what kefir is and how he began producing it. And David Donnelly from The Shed Distillery, producer of Drumshambo Gunpowder Irish Gin, gave us an insight into how the distillery began and its plans for the future. If you're just chinning in and you want to catch up on Best Possible Taste, you can do so on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website. Now, our final interview this evening is with award-winning Sally Barnes from Woodcock Smokery in West Cork. Sally was a visitor to the Rock and Food Festival in Enniscorthy, County Wexford, during the summer. So I seized the opportunity to have a chat with her. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sally, you're a producer of smoked wild fish in Ireland. Tell me a bit about your company and how you started out. I'm based down in West Cork, outside Skibbereen. I call my business Woodcock Smokery, but I preface it with Sally Barnes because um, long story as to why it's Woodcock. 
it's back into the alphabet, a bit of a mistake when you're dealing with retailers and they're doing the accounts. At the end of the month, W is right at the end of the alphabet, so I tend to get pushed back till the following month. I work only with wild fish. My former husband was a commercial fisherman, so I came here 42 years ago had no family here, couldn't go out to work, had small children, so with all this fresh fish I thought we have to be doing something with it, I have to be turning it into something with a shelf life. So I taught myself how to smoke, initially with a tea chest with a bucket of shavings under it and then bad debt led to us acquiring a really beautiful electrically powered mechanical smoking system, an AFOS, fabulous machine. So I taught myself to use that and that gave me an income, that gave me the capacity to work from home, be there for my children, be the land support for the fishing business. Um, so it kind of worked out quite well. I don't know how I did it all, but anyway, I did. Raised two children, ran a successful business. Um, I was the first Irish food to win the Supreme Champions Award at the Great Taste Awards in London in 2006 for my wild smoked Irish salmon but uh, the year after that the Irish government banned the commercial sea fishing for wild salmon the drift net fishery so I was a bit snookered for a while then got fished from Scotland for 10 years that's been banned under the same um, pressure from an angling lobby that's concerned about the stocks of wild salmon which I'm more concerned than they are you know Anyway, so that's banned in Scotland now as well. Uh, so now I'm back buying draft net fish from Ireland, which is great. It's brilliant to be working with Irish fish again. I'm here to do a demonstration this afternoon. I hope I don't set far to the tent. I'm going to try and teach people how to smoke at home with very simple equipment, um, which I enjoy doing. I'm hoping to do a lot more teaching in the future, and I'm trying to write a book. So that's where I'm at at the moment. But based in West Cork, my products are available online at woodcocksmokery.com or through retail outlets. I've got nobody in Wexford, actually, yet. I'm just thrilled to be here. I think this is the most amazing conflagration of food products and producers. It's wonderful. It's great to see the community pulling together and everybody throwing themselves into this wholeheartedly. It's fabulous. You've got wonderful products down here. Mm. What fish are you going to smoke during your demo? I'm hoping that somebody might have found me a couple of mackerel. It's easy fish, people feather for mackerel. Uh, you can eat too much fresh mackerel. So that's how I started smoking fish, that I ate mackerel for three weeks when I came first. It's great fun going out in the evening catching fish. Three weeks of grilled, soused, baked, boiled. That was me done with mackerel until maybe only two years ago when I started pulling the odd one out of the machine when they just finished cooking and they're still hot and sizzling and squirting fabulous fish oils everywhere and, and I inhale them now they're fab they're and fab. is it mackerel, salmon I'm br I've brought albacore tuna I've brought um, cold smoked haddock which I'm going to do like a ceviche just sliced thinly acidulated with some lime juice which is less aggressive than lemon juice and a squirt of olive oil and it makes a fabulous easy starter it's, it's fast, slow food. I'm a great advocate for slow food and all that that stands for. Good, clean, fair food. Um, so I'm going to do slicing of pre-smoked haddock because it's a cold smoked product and I can't do that on a demonstration level. So, But we'll eat and taste the mackerel. 
And you mentioned the great taste, the, yeah. the grand champion, the supreme champion award, yeah. and Eurotalks recognised oh, you there recently at Ashford Castle. Oh Lord, that was that was huge for me, being recognised by by this country and this country's chefs. Yeah, I'm just I was so honoured to receive that for maintaining the craft of smoke curing fish. It was huge. Um, I'm still very humbled by that because. You can nominate, you know, you, you, you are nominated anonymously, this mouthful, um, by chefs around the country, so I had no idea I was nominated even, so it was absolutely incredible to. You to must come sell through. to a lot of chefs then and have a I good do. rapport with yeah, them. Yeah, well, they're my first point of contact. A chef is who's going to do the best by my product. Um, it's a very traditional product. It shouldn't be eaten really cold. It should be eaten at room temperature to allow all the oils and flavors to flow, which seems in these paranoid days counterintuitive that you don't eat it freezing cold. But if you eat it cold, you won't get the flavors. You'll get the salt, you'll get the smoke, but the intrinsic flavors of the fish will be absent. No, absent. You know, when you get it in your mouth, then you'll feel it, but nah, room temperature. And it's great to see you here at the Rocking Food Festival Thank in Enniscorthy in County Wexford. And West Cork has a number of fantastic food festivals. Are you involved in those? Yes, yeah, so I'm involved with the Taste of West Cork Food Festival, which which is happening um, at the start of September. Um, that's really exciting. Um, I think that's nine days this year. 250 different events all over West Cork, but I shouldn't be advertising it in Wexford. This is my first trip to Enniscorthy and I love it. And I want to go out to Ferns tomorrow because that's my maiden name and we don't know where the family comes from. And it, is it England that you came from? Scotland. Scotland you came from 40 Originally. odd years ago. Okay. Yeah. And did you come to Ireland for love? Oh, Lord, yes, now you've got me on the... Yeah, it's all right, I'll get over it. <laughs> and, and cured. And were you working in Scotland? Were you involved a, no, in the... No, not at all. I trained for teaching in London and then came from London to West Cork and sort of died and gone to heaven, you know. Missed Scotland, missed that. Open spaces, friendly people, you know, missed that. What's lovely here is that you've still got community. That's really, really important. That's going to become more important. At the moment, I'm working with Slow Fish, part of the Slow Food Organisation, trying to see if we can get the inshore fleet regenerated because that's where you get fresh fish from. And there are very few inshore boats fishing now. It's all big industrial stuff and the boats are out for four or five days at a time. That's no good for me. That's You must difficult. have seen a huge change in the fishing industry enormous, over the past 40 enormous, years. Enormous, enormous. I came here just after we joined the EU um, and now Ireland's fishing fleet, such as it is, is allocated less than 5% of the total allowable catch in Irish waters. This is an island nation. That's the theme of my talk this afternoon. How can an island nation give away 95% of such a valuable resource? It certainly sounds crazy. Well, isn't it be lovely to meet you, my Likewise. first time meeting you and to talk Likewise. to you. And best of luck with the demo. It sounds Thank really exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy the day. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
Great to talk to Sally and a shout out to the Taste of West Cork Festival which is on Sally's doorstep and is in full swing at the moment and runs until September the 16th. Visit ataste.ofwestcork.com for all the details. And on my doorstep, the Pigtown Food Series continues in Limerick City and County including a lovely twilight dinner at the award-winning Mustard Seed in Ballangarry, County Limerick on Thursday the 27th of September. The dinner is only €48 and you can stay the night for €55 bed and breakfast per person sharing. Fantastic value. And on that very happy note, we're at the end of tonight's show. Thanks to this evening's guests, Shane Smith, Sean McGlone, David Donnelly and Sally Barnes. Thanks to you for listening and don't forget to get in touch with your food and drink news, recipes and events. Email me s.noonan at live. Next week I'll be back with more food and drink news, so until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.